Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis, the book of Genesis. <clears throat> We've been working our way through these first three or four chapters. And we, we've learned, I think we probably already know, but we are relearning that God created the world, the heavens and the earth. He made everything that is in it. It was, he, he made man and woman. He made marriage. He blessed them and told them to multiply and fill the earth with image, people who would bear his image. And it was all good. And Genesis 1 concludes with all of God's creation by saying that he saw everything he had made and it was very good. And then Adam and Eve had sinned and they forfeited their blessings. They were exiled out of the garden. And, but even then God was good. He imposed certain disciplines on them, which we looked at uh, last Sunday. Uh, you know, Hebrews 12, 6 says, Whom the Lord loves, He disciplines every son whom He receives. Amen. And if you've received or experienced His disciplines, then you are a son of God, a child of God. And God came to Adam and Eve. He, he imposed certain disciplines. And then He killed an animal. He stripped the animal of its skin. He, he made the animal naked in order to cover Adam and Eve. And that's in chapter 3, verse 21. He, he killed an animal. First bloodshed in the Bible is right there. When God sacrificed an animal, took its skin, made a garment, and covered Adam and Eve. And... This garment is a Hebrew word, kuteneth. Uh, Genesis 3.21 says, The Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments. King James Version says coats of skins. He, he didn't just take the... the beastly garment and put on them. No, he took it and he embroidered robes. The, the word kutaneth is, is a rare Hebrew word, a garment used in Genesis 3.21. It's used only in Genesis of Joseph's coat of many colors. Genesis 37.3. Remember how Jacob, his father, he had 12 sons and, Je and Joseph was his favorite and he made him a, a robe of many colors. Embroidered. Fancy. It's used 
in Exodus 40, verse 14, of the priestly robes, official, royal. Remember how they sang? We were beggars, now we're royalty. Amen. So when Jesus died on the cross, guess what? John 19, 23 says when they had crucified Jesus, they took his garments, divided them, and also his tunic. You know what the tunic was? Uh, NIV says his undergarment. A Jew wore two pieces of clothing, the outer garment, the robe, and then an undergarment called a tunic. When Jesus died on the cross, they took his garments and his undergarments. He hung naked. See, he's the sacrifice. He was stripped naked so you could be covered. And your shame could be clothed with his righteousness. Can I get an amen somebody? So God was good even after they had sinned. But there's a growth of sin. There's a corruption. A cancer. A a dark energy in the sin that has now been released. They have, you see it in the next generation with Cain and Abel. So let's read Genesis 4 verses 8 through 10. Genesis 4 and verse 8. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Then in verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, when they were in the field. Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. So we see the growth of sin here in just one generation. Uh, Let me illustrate it like this. Adam was a thief. He stole the fruit that God had prohibited. His son, the next generation, Cain was a murderer. Adam was exiled from the garden. But Cain was exiled from the presence of the Lord and even Eden itself. See, there was there were there fields in the world outside. Then there was Eden, the land of Eden. And inside of Eden was a garden, the Garden of Eden. Adam was exiled from the garden, but Cain was exiled. Genesis 3.23, the Lord sent him, Adam, out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground. But Genesis 4.16, Cain, the next generation, he went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. He was out away from Eden. Adam was kicked out of the house. Cain left the whole territory. 
And Adam, illustrating how the next generation is worse, Adam returned to God when he had sinned, but his son never did. So you have a second generation, Cain and Abel, not just reproducing and duplicating sin, but expanding and even deeper corruption of sin. Now, the Bible says in Genesis 4 that what happened was that they both, Cain and Abel, brought um, a, an offering to the Lord. Genesis 4, verse 4 and 5. But it says that God did not regard Cain's offering. Uh, Abel brought firstborn of the flock, a lamb, and Cain brought the fruits. He was a farmer, not a shepherd. And here's Abel, and it says God accepted his, but he had no regard for Cain's offering. How did Cain know that? What was the evidence that God did not accept Cain's offering? Well, in the Old Testament, you'll find that when they brought these sacrifices, when God accepted them, like Leviticus 9.24, they brought a sacrifice, and there came a fire from the Lord, which consumed the burnt offering. A fire would come out from God, from heaven, and burn it up, which means he's receiving it. Y'all remember the story of 1 Kings 18 when Elijah is confronting the prophets of Baal. Y'all remember this? And uh, Elijah told the prophets, the false prophets of Baal, he said, uh, let's see who's the true, who has the true God. And so uh, you, all you prophets, about 400 of them, I think, uh, 450, um, you, br you bring your sacrifices to Baal and see if he responds. And so they danced and cut themselves and all day long and nothing happened with their sacrifice. And then Elijah says, 1 Kings 18.36, At the time of the offering of the sacrifice, Elijah came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. And I am your servant. And it says, The fire of the Lord fell, consumed the offering, the wood, the stones, the dust, the water, everything around it. See, it was a confirmation that God had accepted it and legitimized and validated Elijah himself. So here's Cain and Abel bringing their offerings. And Abel has fire come down and consume his. But Cain, crickets. And they left. And Cain was mad. He was humiliated. He's the older brother. And Abel was probably talking to him about it. And then God comes to him 
comes to Cain in Genesis. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? Genesis 4, 7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you don't, you need to understand sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule it. So God, in His goodness, came to Cain and warned him ahead of time. Cain, why are you so mad? Get it right and you'll be accepted. He gave him a promise, then he gave him a warning. Sin is crouching at the door. If you don't get a hold of this, if you don't deal with this resentment and anger you have, it's going to flare up. It's like a lion crouching right outside your door. You're about to be devoured by the lion. And Cain didn't listen. And so you have the first murder. And God drove him from the ground and away from his presence. Genesis 4.16 Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod. Now, Nod is a word which means to wander, uh, to... uh, to be agitated. I don't know that it was an actual territory. It may just be a place where nomads settled, a tent city of homeless people. Uh, remember, these are three or four generations now, and Adam and Eve had other children, and you might have had a pretty good sized tent city out there in the land of Nod where everybody's anxious and agitated and wandering around, wandering in and out. And Genesis 4.17 says this, And Cain knew his wife. Now evidently, he got a wife while he was out there in this revolutionary society of of ne'er-do-wells. And they are all descended from Adam, but Adam lived about 900 years, and so he had a bunch of uh, kids. Exponentially, they would have had, he could have had several uh, women to choose from at that point. But chapter 4, verse 17, Cain knew his wife, And she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city. Now, I think it means Cain because he built a city and named it after his son Enoch. So it's Cain that actually built the city. Genesis uh, 4.18. And to Enoch was born Irad. Uh, You know, when we talk about names for babies... Uh, they often mean something, the fact they do mean something in the Bible. You named, the parent names the baby. And they usually name it because of some significance. They name it after a, a, a grandmother or a grandfather or a parent, a father or mother. 
And, but in the Bible, they usually wanted to send a message. And uh, Dr. James Jordan has done the most work on this that I'm aware of. And he, uh, he points out these names, these Hebrew names. Now remember, this is the society, this is the culture that has now drifted toward a tent city, a kind of, a kind of nomadic group of agitated people, which are just a few generations from Adam, it may be a pretty good-sized city at this time, a, a village, a pretty good-sized village at this time. And, and uh, Dr. Jordan points out the names because they give a message. Uh, so here's what the names mean. Genesis 4:18. To Enoch was born Irad, a wild donkey. That's the meaning of Irad. That's always a great name, by the way. If you're expecting a child, name him Wild Donkey. And then Irad fathered Mehujael. Now, Mehuja is to strike out against. But notice that it ends with El, Mahuja El, which is the abbreviated form of Elohim. So it means to strike out against God. And then Mahuja El fathered Methusha El. Now, Methusha means requiring death, demanding death. Again, El at the end of it, requiring the death of God. What a, it's the only time that this name, Methusha'el, is listed in the Old Testament Hebrew. There's nobody else named we want the death of God. <laughs> what a name you would give your child. And then uh, Methushael, one who demands the death of God, he has Methushael fathered Lamech. Now who's Lamech? Remember these are all descendants of Cain. In this agitated outlier of Eden. Genesis 4.19. Lamech took two wives. Now here is the first introduction of polygamy. Genesis 4.19. And immorality. Where it is culturally embraced. And then look at Genesis 4.23. Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zilhah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me. He just got wounded by some man. And what, how was his response? He killed him. So revenge... I have, and he was a young man, but he struck me. Here's, here's Lamech who's killed some 
young boy, maybe he's a teenager, because he's hit him. So he pulled out his knife and stabbed him. So you can see Cain moves away from Adam and Eve. He moves away from their royalty and priesthood, their worship. He moves away from the garden and from Eden itself. And in just seven or eight generations here, away from the garden, away from God, civilization has corrupted itself. Social unrest, brutality, violence, hatred of God. Let's kill Him. Pride. Hear this, you wives. Sexual immorality. And all the while, here is God in the garden. And you can still worship Him. So there are two cities that develop. Now I would point you also to Genesis 4, 25 and 26. Adam knew his wife again and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For he said... She said, God has appointed me another in the place of Abel, for Cain killed him. And to Seth, a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. So here is a grandson of Adam and Eve, Enosh. A son was Seth, and he had a son named Enosh. And look at that last verse, last phrase of chapter 4, verse 26. And then people began to call on the name of the Lord. Prayer meetings began. Triggered by the birth of a child. And you know the name Enosh means frail, weak. Evidently Enosh or Seth had looked at this little baby. And and he looked at that culture that was developing around him, of God-haters, brutal savages around him. And he, and he thought, hey, guys, we got to go to God. You look at the world around you, and the little children God puts in your care, and if you can't find it, that is a motive to go back to God. I don't know how to help you, my friend. This little baby was born. And then they began to call on the name of the Lord. So we would summarize these first few chapters like this. One, you have a weak, small church that's developing. Chapter 4, verse 26. Little prayer meetings spring up. Number two, you have a very hostile culture. Their names indicate they hate God. They want to strike at Him. They want to kill Him. The names also mean they're wild, like a wild donkey. Uh, 
They have polygamy and immorality and revenge. So there's a very hostile culture that has grown, that's starting to grow up around them where they do not live with God. They do not worship God. They do not pray. They do not observe Sabbath. They do not respect traditional marriages that God designed and illustrated with Adam and Eve. What do they do? Pretty much whatever they want. Whatever overtakes them. So it's a weak church. It's a hostile culture. And then the thing that really triggers perhaps the flood of Noah is when you look at chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, there seems to be an invasion of fallen angels. This is a remarkable passage. Let's read some of this. Genesis 6, verse 1. Now when man began to multiply on the face of the land, Daughters born to them. The sons of God saw the daughters of men were attractive and took them as wives. Now, who are these sons of God? B'nai ha Elohim is the Hebrew phrase. And the church has wrestled with this passage even in the Old Testament times. The rabbis, the early church fathers, Right down to today, I was reading just this past week, Warren Wiersbe, one of my favorite authors. In 1998, he wrote a commentary where he traced it. He said, these are the, the sons of God or the daughters are the descendants of Seth, which is a, a, a common and a somewhat acceptable view, and I once held it myself. But then Warren Wiersbe in 2007 had a, put out a fuller commentary in which he said no. So you can change your mind on this. A lady came up to me this morning at the early service and said, you know, you, you preached a sermon on this some years ago and you said it was a son, that it was the descendants of Seth, sons of God. And they intermarried with that culture of, of immoral brutality over there in the, in the uh, land of Enoch and I did I remember that but here's what I have learned and we're going to pick this up next Sunday okay? because this is way too much for to just put as an end of a message sons of God B'nai Elohim is a phrase in its exactness in this precise language and phrase always in the Old Testament without exception is used of angels and notice that these sons of God these angels saw the daughters of what? Seth? no Adam Adam humanity angels made this incredible breakthrough into humanity 
and took as wives some women, human women. And you notice how it says that the sons of God saw and they took. You see, that's the same, th- same language of, of Eve over in uh, Genesis chapter 3. She saw the fruit and she took. So here's a kind of fall of angels, much like the fall of man. So here's some questions. Who are they? We're going to make the case for it next week. Can angels have sexual intercourse with women? That sounds crazy. And can this be the reason for the flood where God destroyed the entire human race but one family? But here's what we know at this point. The reality, the grip, the explosion of depravity in these first centuries of creation led to even the demons, fallen angels, saying, we're going we're to get in on that. We're going to participate in the destruction of humanity. Paul compared sin in 1 Corinthians 5. He said, it is like yeast or leaven, which ultimately will leaven the whole lump. So we're going to look at what God did to save humanity from the dark energy of sin and the depravity that came upon this original earth, heaven and earth. Let's pray together and let's ask God to guide us as we look at these strange texts from the Bible. Heavenly Father, as we bow before you today, we are aware of a spiritual realm, an invisible realm, and we pray that you will guard your church and may we, every one of us here today, may we be among those who call upon the name of the Lord. May we and our children be among the Sethites and help us, I pray, as we study this passage together to come out of this brutal, God-defying, sin-loving world in a, with its culture and all that belongs to it. And help us to be faithful to you and forgive our sins and give us grace to repent these things we pray in Jesus' name. Let's worship with